0: God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this amazing grace that you give us. We, we celebrate this morning uh, who you are and what you have done for us through Jesus. So God, as we dive in this morning, I pray that you will speak to us, that you will, will get in at our hearts that you will convict us, that you will inspire us, that you will encourage us, that you will challenge us. God, give us ears to hear, and courage to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On January 28, 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger broke apart 72 seconds into launch. Scattering across the Atlantic Ocean, every bit of that space shuttle. Uh, All seven crew members died at that time. Uh, Many of us saw that live. About 17 percent of the entire U.S. population saw it live, and within within an hour, 85 percent of the people had heard about it. How many of you remember where you were when the Challenger exploded? The, the result, the, the, the reason this, the shuttle had exploded was there was this faulty O ring in one of the rocket boosters that, that had not been engineered to, to sustain the cold ch- temperatures that occurred the morning of that launch. After the disaster, the entire shuttle program was shut down for 32 months as, as the Rogers Commission came in, commissioned by President Reagan, to investigate what was going on. With this shuttle launch, why was there such a disaster? They found that there were major flaws in the organizational structure at NASA. There, there was a culture there of decision-making that was, was one of the key factors for the accidents. It was all the way back in 1977 that engineers first identified that there was a problem with the O-rings. But that information never made it up through the chain of command on launch day to say it's a cold day, we shouldn't be launching. They launched anyway, and we know the disaster that followed. Now, 16 years earlier, there's the Apollo 13 mission. James Lovell is floating out in space in this capsule, and and they're two days into their mission when, when an oxygen tank explodes. They no longer have enough oxygen to get back to Earth safely. They were supposed to be headed to the moon, but they had to abort their mission, and we hear these famous words come over the airwaves, Houston, we have a problem. Quite the understatements. And so the NASA team, both on on the rocket and in mission control, have to come together to come up with solutions to help get the team home safely. And, of course, they're able to come up with solutions that get the the team home safely. And so we have two very different missions here. Both have major flaws. Both have accidents. The Challenger mission, the team failed to come together to come up with solutions. The Apollo 13 mission, they come together and come up with the right solutions to save the crew. And so as a church, could we sound a similar problem, a similar alarm could we say something like, heaven, we have a problem. Mission control, we have a problem. Something's exploded. Something's gone wrong. Something's not working. We certainly could look at Christianity across the world, particularly in this country, and we can say Christianity's under attack. Churches are closing at an alarming rate. There is a problem among Christianity. And we could spend all day lamenting the different cultural factors that go into that. But what about this church? What about Montgomery? What about us? Can we say that we have a problem? You know, just asking that question gets us defensive, right? Someone, when somebody says, you have a problem, immediately our response is, huh? No, I don't think so. And so we get defensive when someone starts asking questions like, do you have a problem? There certainly is a lot for us to be celebrating. Over the last several weeks, we've been asking for these I Love Montgomery cards. And and there's a compilation of those uh, for you in your bulletin. There's more on the table out out front if you didn't get one of those. Uh, Some some of the ones that that showed up on here, just to highlight them. Uh, I Love Montgomery because it first loved me. This is a loving church whose mission is to show his love. This is my family. Another one said, my soul is fed I'm made whole and strong to fight the battles of the coming week. This is my family. I am loved. Another said, I cast my cares on the Lord and I'm comforted. I can rejoice in the Lord and sing to his eternal reign that is so abundant in mercy, love, grace. I see good friends who share my faith. Or another said, our small group has opened my eyes to, and hearts uh, toward others and given us insight into better understanding of the Bible. Another said, the people of Montgomery are sweet, loving, caring group of people just trying to do life together and so much more. The Lord has blessed us by giving us to you. And of course, my very favorite is this one here that says, my dad is the preacher. There's a lot to celebrate here, a lot of great things that have happened over the many, many years of ministry here at this church. And so to ask the question, do we have a problem or or to ask a question of are there things that we can do better is not a criticism of the past and not a criticism of where we're at right now. But but it's a question of are there greater things for us? As Brent has been talking about over the last couple weeks, there are promises, there, are, there is land, there is territory for us to be claiming. Are we claiming all that God has promised us? Are we claiming all the things that he's called us into? Or, or is there more that we can be claiming? And so I'm going to nerd out on you for just a couple minutes and show you some charts. I rarely, I've actually never done this before in a sermon. Not the nerd out part, but the the chart part. (laughs) Um, And that's just a standard. Um, Let's look at this first one. This is a little bit more business me. This this is a chart of the age of our members. Okay, age of our members. Um, Some of you are statisticians, so I hesitate doing stuff like this. It's like when I, I do legal things and there's a judge in the room. I'm like, yeah. Um, so, but but here's, some sta- here's some statistics. It doesn't take much to see that the top half of that list is a little bit heavy. Okay? I'm not talking about weight. That would be a conversation for a different series. But, but the bulk of our members are over 40. We, the average member from birth to Dick Jones is 47. 47 is our average age. And so you can see that there are a lot of people in that over 40 mark. If you look at the young adult population, which is, is 19 to 39, 39 is very generous as a label for young adult. And so you look at that range, that's just 12% of our members. 12% of our members are in that 19 to 39 age range. And so I would ask the question of this chart, do we have a young adult problem? Do we have a young adult problem? This next, que- this next chart is a tenure of membership. This one's a very mixed bag. Once again, not a lot of statistical analysis to see that there's a hole in the middle. There's a gap in the middle. There's a lot at the top and a lot at the bottom and not a lot in the middle. So 34% of our members have been here over 20 years. If you fall into that category of being here over 20 years, could you stand for just a moment? Yes. Yes. Let's celebrate these people. Yeah. All right. So 34% have been here 20 years or longer. I I think that's a great thing. There, There has been so much that has been done by that group that we get to benefit from being newer here. And so thank you for the long, long years and the things that you have endured over those 20 plus years. Great things to celebrate over that time. 30% of our members, though, have been here four years or less. That means that 30% of our members have only experienced me as the lead minister here. Now for those of you who have been here a while, let that sink in. That 30% of our people, 30%, that's 82 people, don't know the stories that you know, did not experience the things that you've experienced, do not have the history or the relationships, or the family experiences that you have. And so there's a variety of ways to read this. It's not in and of itself bad, but but we have to look at this and say, for those of you who have been here longer, for those 94 of you that have been here 20 years or longer, do you know those 82? Do you know those 82? And one of the, th- there are great benefits to having been here for a long time, but there, there's a A risk that comes to that because if you've been here for a while you can have this sense of been there done that attitude there's a tiredness there's a weariness there's a there's i've been here for a long time i've kind of paid my dues and i'm done and so there's a risk in that not a guarantee but a risk all right last chart before we'll move on this is our worship attendance over the last several years And so, if you have been here longer than four years, you know a lot of the explanations as to why this chart looks the way it does. We had significant drops in 2011 and 2012. We stabilized around that 240 mark. But then, over the last few years, that has dropped down below the 200 mark. That our average weekly attendance right now is below 200. Now, I want to be sure that you don't hear me saying that church attendance is the ultimate measure to success as a church. This is not uh, the ultimate measure. Filling seats one day a week is not what we're all about. This is not how we define success. But our attendance does become a leading indicator of other trouble. What does this say to us? We're not really completely sure. It's just one number. We have to look at all the other factors. But it is a number that is dipping. On another encouraging note, though, our, our giving has not seen that same decline. That our giving is actually up this year from last year. And so that's incredibly positive that financially we're doing well. This is not a, a scary financial time. And so I'm not sharing these things to be critical. I'm not sharing these things to, to be discouraging. And for those of you who are, who are visiting, stay tuned in. This is not just a business meeting of the church. We're, we're going somewhere with this. We're not placing blame, but we're simply putting light on some things that may cause us some concern. So enough of that nerdy stuff. Let's, let's move on. One of the things that organizations, especially churches, really struggle with is this sense of complacency. Now, complacency sounds like this word complaining. Complaining and complacency are two different things. We need to get the right definition of this word here. This is not a complaining church. Thank goodness. Like the worst complainer I have to deal with is Joe Jameson complaining about the air conditioner being left on in the gym. So whoever is leaving the air conditioner on in the gym, please turn it off. If that is the worst of the complaining, I'll take it. This is not a complaining church. This is this is a great family of people. They're not complainers. But complacency is different. Complacency is this idea of being content with the status quo. Complacency is everything's fine. Nothing's a problem. We don't need to change anything. We don't need to risk anything. We don't need to to move anything or make any differences because everything is good. The sense of complacency tells us that, that there are no great new opportunities and there are no great risks that we need to be looking out for. And so a sense of complacency really is a challenge because we get satisfied with how things are And we're not willing to risk things to move in a new direction. And so are there greater opportunities that we could be pursuing? Is there more that God has for us? Is there that promised land that is waiting to be claimed? And so we're going to spend the next three weeks uh, looking at some solutions, looking at some answers to this as, as we move forward as a congregation. We're going to talk about how can we move past the status quo and and, and realize our full potential as a church. But before we do that, we've got to spend some time rebooting. We need to reboot. And the first question that we have to do is is answer this question, this powerful, powerful question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? To you, Because everything that we do as a church hinges on that question. Who is Jesus to you as an individual? You sitting in the pews, you, me standing up here preaching. Who is Jesus to us? Because how we answer who Jesus is changes everything. That what we really believe about Jesus will have incredible impact on our life. The choices that we make and, and, and the directions that we go. This is why we have spent so much time talking about Jesus in, in my four years of preaching here. We've, we've done a series on Mark. We've done a series on John. We've done a, sermon, or a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're spending a lot of time talking about who Jesus is because the answer to that question is everything. Who do you believe he is? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the church. It's one of only two places where he talks about the church. And he asks his disciples this question, "Who do you say I am?" Let's read Matthew chapter 16 starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say I am?" They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they give all these different answers. None of these answers are right, though. He's just a prophet. He's a teacher. They say he's all kinds of things. We don't really know what he is. Then Jesus says, but you, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon answers for the group, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Of the living God. You're Messiah. You're Christ. You are the Son of God. This is who Jesus is. They're asked this question, Who do you say I am? And and Peter gives this incredible response that says, You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the one who has come to save us. And so... We ask this question, who is Jesus to you? Do you believe that Jesus has all authority of heaven and of earth? Do you believe that he is always present? Do you believe that he is here in our midst leading this worship time together? Do you believe in that Jesus or do you believe in a Jesus that is docile and passive and indifferent? Which of those Jesuses do you believe in? Is he one that is on a mission to save the world? Or is he one that is at a distance and doesn't really care? Because how you live your life outside of these walls will tell what you believe about Jesus. And so Peter makes this great confession, and and Jesus celebrates it with him. He says, and Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so Jesus says, yes, Peter, you have got it right. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And not only that, on that confession, I am going to build my church. Now, it's interesting that that Jesus doesn't say, hey, Peter, you are really smart. You are really educated. You've gone to all the right classes, and therefore you now know who I am. No. Jesus says, you know who I am because of the Father. The Father has revealed this to you. It's not about knowing a lot about me. It's not having this intellectual pursuit of knowing about me. It's actually knowing me. Do you know Jesus? And on this, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And, and listen to what Jesus says about the church that he's going to build. One, Jesus is building the church. It's not us. It's not our intellect. It's not our strength. It's not our great leadership techniques. It is not us that is building the church. Jesus is building his church. Jesus says, it is my church. He owns it. We do not own it. And so our preferences, our desires are not relevant because he's the one who owns it, not us. And third, he says that it is growing because when something is being built, it gets bigger. Nobody builds anything smaller. As you build something, it gets bigger, and so the church should be growing. It strengthens spiritually and grows spiritually, but it should also be growing numerically. And if you wanna get into debate about the measurement of numbers, look at how many times numbers show up in the Bible. They count things. There should be a numerical growth. But he also says the church will face opposition. The church is going to face opposition. Hell is opposing the work of this church. Hell is opposing what Jesus is trying to do in our midst. And he wants to come in and destroy any work that we are doing that glorifies God and expands his kingdom. But Jesus talks about the gates of hell. How many of you have a gate in your yard Is the gate to keep people out, or is the gate to attack somebody? How many of you use your gate as a weapon? All right, we've got one. Don't go to that house. Most of us use a gate as a defensive mechanism, right? It's to keep the bad guys out. A city gate is keeping those who are attacking out. So he's talking about the gates of hell the gates of hell will not overcome us, which means we are on the offensive against the gates of hell. That means that we are moving forward in an offensive way. We're moving in where, this, where Satan is at work. We are going into the dark places. We are pursuing the places where Satan has a stronghold, and we are offensively taking that territory back. That's the church that Jesus is building. But then finally, he says the gates of hell will not overcome it. Hell is opposing it, but it will not overcome it because we have the keys to the kingdom. We have the authority of Jesus on our side. And so where there are dark places, that is where we are called to go. Neil Cole says it this way. He says, If we sit back in our fortress, frightened by all that seems to threaten us, we let countless souls remain captive to the forces of hell. We need to turn from defense to offense and storm the gates to set the captives free. This is church according to Jesus. And so based on this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, who Jesus is to us, we, we say he is the Son of God, which means he, means he has all authority of earth and heaven. If, if that's who he is, then Jesus is going to build his church to offensively take on the darkness of the world. He's going to bring light and transformation into the lives of the people around us. So it isn't about our buildings, it isn't about our attendance, it isn't about the tenure of our members or the age of our members, it's not about our programs, it's about the light coming into the darkness and lives being transformed. That lives are being transformed. And so I would ask, are people's lives being transformed? Yes. People's lives are being transformed. We see change happening in people's lives. And so, are our lives being transformed? Are the, the lives of the people we come into contact being transformed? Because that is the church that Jesus is all about. That is the church of Christ. That is what the church of Christ is all about. And so as people who believe in this Jesus and people who who want to follow him, who seek to model their lives after him, these are people who are called disciples. That we are disciples because we're following Jesus. We're modeling our lives after his life. We carry on his mission into the world. And these disciples come together in this spiritual organism, this spiritual family that we call church. And they're called together to pursue his mission. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are, we're surrendering our lives. We're surrendering to our Lord. We're surrendering to our King to become more and more like him. We learn from him. We're obedient to him. We, we listen to him for instructions. And as we listen to Jesus, we hear him say that there are, are two commandments that are most important for us to be following. Love God and love others. And this is the life that Jesus lived. He had this incredibly vibrant, life-giving relationship with his father. He loved God. And he also demonstrated this radical, life-giving love for others. A love that would sacrifice everything. A love that would sacrifice his own will and his own concern for the sake of others. And so being a disciple isn't something that's limited to a Sunday morning. It's not limited to the church building. It's not limited to church programs. It's not an intellectual pursuit. Following Jesus is a way of life that encompasses all aspects of our lives. We can't just compartmentalize being disciples into one area. And as disciple makers, we are introducing others to this Jesus, this Jesus who has the transformative power to change lives. That's the mission that we're called into. And so as a church, we we exist to be making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. This is what we're about. We're making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. This is who we are. This is what we are called into. Now, this is a mission for every follower of Jesus. This is your mission. Every single one of us have this mission from Jesus. It's not just the leadership. It's not just the church organization. It's, just not, it's not just the institution that is called into this. All of us are called into this. What we can do as a church, as an organization, is to create environments, to, to create opportunities for people to come together as a family and learn the ways of Jesus. And so we come together and we learn, we listen to what Jesus is saying, and we're obedient to his commands, and then we go out and we take that mission of love to others. And so our church resources, the staff, the building, the the programs, they're not here to do ministry for you. This is not for you to come and consume ministry. We, We come together to equip and to encourage all of us to storm the gates of hell. That's what we're called into. And so when we begin to see our lives transformed, we begin to see our families transformed, we begin to see our community transformed. And so what do we do? We've talked about this whole making disciple things for a while now. What does it look like How do do we go about this mission of making disciples? And so that's where we're headed over the next few weeks as we talk about what does it mean to make disciples? What is it going to look like here at Montgomery for us to be making disciples? And so we're going to be looking at a simplified discipleship, uh, a simplified discipleship process that is going to engage all of us to help make disciples, to help others encounter the transformative power of God. And so we're going to be looking at three key priorities. The first is gathering together in our worship gatherings. The second is to grow together in life groups. And then the third is going to be to go and make a difference in our communities. So these are going to be our focus for the next three weeks. And for the coming years, as we seek to be a church that's making disciples of Jesus Christ... Who love God and love others. And so we're going to expand on each of those over the next few weeks. Encourage you to be back each week. Come ready listening to what God has for you. But for today, I want you to ask yourself, do we have a problem? Get past that defensive part of of saying, no, things are good. And say, are there things that could be better? Are Are there areas that we can see ourselves growing in? you're going to have to answer that for yourself. Answer this question. Look around. Is this church everything that God designed it to be? Have we claimed all of the promises? Have we claimed all of the territory that he has given to us? Do we see the territory of Satan shrinking as we storm the gates of hell? Is that what we see? Do we see lives being transformed? Do we see the darkness shrinking? Do we see light raining? And yes, we see that in so many places. Are there more places that we've yet to see it? Or do you look around and say, everything's fine. Everything's great. We don't need to do anything differently. Not addressing the problems of the O-ring brought disaster for the Challenger crew, but creative people came together and came up with the solution for the Apollo crew. So will we ignore the problems or will we seek creative solutions to the problems? Again, Neil Cole says this, he says, the beginning of any great accomplishment is recognizing that there is a problem. The recognition combined with a clear objective and creative energy can accomplish much. God has already given us all we need. All we have to do is look at simple things once again in another light. There are solutions right in front of us if we only have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God is not silent, and He is not removed, but engaged and motivated. Ask and you shall receive. And so be asking God for solutions. Ask God for us to see simple things in new light. Sometimes we just need to reboot. Sometimes we just need to restart and and reboot the system. And go back to basics. You just have to look at them with fresh eyes. So let's go back to basics. Basics. The starting place for all of us, though, is this reboot of asking the question, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? And are you living in light of that belief? As we conclude, I want us to prayerfully answer these two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what are you going to do about it? God, what are you saying to me? That is listening to God, listening to his instructions, sitting at the feet of Jesus for his instructions. Listen, what is he saying to you? Is he convicting you of something? Is he, is he speaking something to you? Is he encouraging you to act in a certain way or, or make a certain change in your life? God, what are you saying to me? And Don't stop there. You have to ask the question, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to be obedient to what God is talking to me about? Is he calling me to do something? Will I be obedient to that? What am I going to do about it? And so I want to invite you to stand now. And I want to invite everybody to respond this morning in a way that they feel compelled. Everybody has something to respond to. And so you can respond by silently reflecting on your answers to these questions... What is God saying? What is he doing? That's one way to respond. Another way to respond is to seek out prayer from someone and, and, and share with them what's going on. You can come forward and pray with one of the shepherds, or you can pray with family and friends, or you can get together with your life group. It's a time that you can pray with one another. Uh, this, you could respond by singing praise to God. Who Jesus is to you has completely changed your life, and you just want to celebrate the beautiful name of Jesus. And so you can just sing that praise this morning. This is a time for us to respond. And it can be in any posture. It can be kneeling. It can be sitting. It can be bowing your head. It can be head held high, head held low. This is a chance for us to respond to what God is saying to us. And I want to ask, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of the living God, and you have yet to confess that, baptism we would love to have that conversation with you and be able to be a part of that confession and so you can come down and talk to me or one of the shepherds whatever it is let's spend some time responding to what god is saying to us this morning let's pray together god we thank you for your son jesus we thank you for sending him to us so that we can see and experience you in new ways. God, I pray that you will give us your eyes to see the world around us, that we can see the opportunities, that we can see the challenges, we can see the threats, and and know that, that you are in control and that you are working through us. God, give us courage to storm the gates of hell. Give us courage to move into those dark places to bring your light in. Show us what it means to love you and to love others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.